Hey, are you looking to evolve to a higher level of existence? To practically harness spirituality and personal growth in a crazy, busy, imperfect world? Then you've come to the right place. My name is Prash and this is Urban Spirituality, the show which fuses ancient wisdom with contemporary spiritual practices to deliver value-adding tools, traits, and insights to help you live your fullest potential. We always keep it real, featuring authentic, unfiltered dialogue with guests from diverse backgrounds to inspire, entertain, and enlighten all who listen. So get ready for your dose of urban spirituality. Be present and let's dive in. Prash, thank you so much for having me as a guest on your show. I'm so looking forward to our conversation. I really am. Michelle, it's been great that you've joined us. I'm going to ask you straight away, what does it feel like being a woman who comes from a rock and wrote a 50,000 word book in 35 hours it's amazing it's so amazing it's actually so amazing i feel so like honored to be gibraltarian to be part of this journey amazing <laughs> many listeners here folks if you're wondering what gibraltar is it's that kind of pointy rock on the south coast of spain michelle what, what's what's a gibraltarian doing in london now well i've been in london for over 25 years so I, was, I lived in Gibraltar till I was about 18. And um, based on my seeking spirit, I wanted to leave and try something else, try something, try the outer world. And um, went to live in Israel for three years and then came to live in the UK. Incredible. And, uh, yeah. Absolutely. You know, and I, and I, you know, I was really happy here, so I stayed. And I sort of developed myself professionally while I was here. And that sort of all grew okay so i've had the pleasure of studying your background a little and i see that the michelle we have in front of us here on the show has worn many hats can you tell us a little bit about the various hats you've worn over this journey of yours wow <clears throat> too many to mention but um if i if i trail it back to my teenage years i've done everything from i used to be a dancer I was, um, I was in plays. I did catwalk modeling. I was at one point a, a magician's assistant and, uh, before I was 18 and then went to live in Israel. Used to, I was on kibbutz. I did loads of different programs. Came to live in London, was in corporate banking, but was always very interested in personal development and per, personal growth, always. Um, and but I just didn't know how that was going to happen or, or what I needed to do with that. Uh, but I, yeah, I was in corporate banking for, for a while. And, um, and I just decided to, to go into psychotherapy. And I decided to start becoming a psychotherapist and a clinical supervisor. So I entered the mental health world, which was incredible. Michelle, this is a subject that is sadly swept under a lot of carpets especially in the UK, and I know there are other countries, I'm not going to mention them, but there are other countries where mental health is almost just cast aside as a sort of superficial area that doesn't re require as much attention as people think it does. What got you into mental health and why do you think it's so important and perhaps a bit of an epidemic, an overlooked epidemic? Mm. Absolutely. I... 
as I said to you before, I always had an interest in personal development. I always, even when I worked in corporate banking, and I was one of the youngest members of staff, and I would be filing in the filing room, for example, people would walk past and sit on a stool just next to me to just tell me their problems. And I would just listen, and I would, I, it's one of the parts of banking that I loved, and I thought, well, something's, something's not right here. It's, it's, I, I want to listen to people. I want to hear their pain. I want to allow them to yeah. be verbal about what's right. going on. Absolutely. And so I entered the world of psychotherapy. And I think on some level, I was trying to help people and heal people and save people. I think I always have wanted to do that ever since I was a young child. I was always walking around and speaking to people that I felt looked lonely or alone. I was extremely sensitive about things like that as a child. But I think I also wanted to help myself. Um, I think it's, it's this element of, of just healing yourself and, and wanting right. to, you know, wanted to, maybe it was a sense of perfection. I wanted to make sure that I was okay and everything, you know, that I was sorting out my mindset and, 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 um, and I was doing it for other people too, but I think I wanted to, I probably wanted to save everyone and I wanted to help everyone. And that's naively from yeah. the position I probably entered it from. Um, that's probably where I came into the whole area of mental health. But then you've gone into the area of mental health and you have a background in that, you know, along with your training in psychotherapy. Yeah, 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 yeah. Now, this is a powerful combination, right? Mental health, psychotherapy. How did you find the receptivity of clients or people that came to you? What was that like? And what impact do you feel you had in those days? Yeah, as a psychotherapist, it is a very different process to coaching. Psychotherapists, mm. first of all, you have a very different clientele. You have clientele who are hugely needy, uh, just about managing to get through their day, uh, depressed, addicted, uh, bereaved. Um, I used to work with a lot of addictions, which I actually really used to enjoy. I worked a lot with ADHD as well, with autistic spectrum disorders as well. But you have people who, it's a whole different process because they are very attached to you. So you are working with that relationship in terms of their attachment. And you are, you are encouraging that attachment. And that's why I had clients working with me in therapy for years, absolutely years. They couldn't imagine leaving me one day. And that's what you encourage almost because you, you want to be that good enough parent. You want to give them that good enough process. But it is very, you know, it is very, very draining. I used to work with people who were suicidal as well. So it was, I used to feel overwhelmed afterwards, pretty, pretty exhausting. Mm -hmm. um, whilst obviously going through my own therapy because... You were growing all the time, right? You were going and growing. Yeah. All the while you're working on yourself. That doesn't stop because you're a trained psychotherapist with your 120 plus hours in your belt. That, that oh, absolutely. Stop. No, it doesn't stop. To... And you have, to, you have to be in therapy and you have to have your own clinical supervisor supervising your work. Further on, I became a clinical supervisor. So I was supervising other, other therapists' right. work. So I was not only taking on the load of my clients, but the load of over 60 yeah. therapists were supervised over time. So they're all their loads. And there were some pretty, pretty, pretty complex cases there. Like you'll never believe. So, yeah. <laughs> Let me ask you this. 
for those who are listening and perhaps for some of those who are in denial, what could you say are the two or three warning signs, yellow flags, amber flags, that one should be watching out for that they may actually have some sort of disorder, an anxiety disorder, a sense of depression coming on? Are there any generic markers that one can sense check? Well, here's the thing. When I was a therapist, I used to talk in terms of disorder and trauma Mm. and uh, people not being okay. That was my language. But in transition and into coaching and becoming, I mean, I use a lot of the three principles methodologies and other methodologies. I look at it as order. I look at it as, it's almost like when you look up into the sky, there's huge, thick black clouds and there's always a blue, bright blue sky and sun behind it but you often can't see it because it's such thick thick cloud that is how i see our system when people overthink life they get depressed depression is often anger turned inwards so depression is uh, often feelings that we don't allow to go out into the surface we repress them they're not good they're not right and they build and those become very, very thick clouds. The, the thick clouds is our thinking that creates our feeling, that creates our experience in the moment. That's really what it's about. So I no longer see it as a disorder. Uh, I see it as your body just telling you something kind of not isn't right, and it's just kind of warning you. And I think that there's something very right with that. So anxiety, so overthinking could be a, replaying what you said, overthinking could be a precursor to uh, anxiety or depression, for example, when you're overthinking. If if you when you're anxious or feeling really down or feeling even slightly depressed, if you actually look at what thoughts are are powering that, because feelings aren't created in a vacuum; they are always, always powered by thought. It's like a movie projector. Whatever whatever thoughts are coming out. Now, if those thoughts are, for example, I'm never going to be good enough, I'm never going to make it, you know, my wife's going to leave me, um, my kids are going to be so ashamed of me, all of those thoughts are playing out in your mind, obviously what's going to happen is you're going to feel it internally. You're going to feel down, you're going to feel anxious, you're going to feel, you know, it's not going to be great. And then what you're going to create from that space is going to be anxious decisions, panicky decisions. So it creates everything you, you know, moving forward. Yeah. And it also, if you get into that anxious state, then the more anxious thinking that you have, you're almost perpetuating that into existence. You are. And what people tend to, what people tend to do is they either try to make that thinking positive, Hmm. they try and turn it around, or they try and, um, Stop it somehow, like stop it, stop it, stop it. I don't want to be angry, stop it. So you resist it. And when you resist, obviously persists. So you, whereas often it's almost just allowing those thoughts to pass through you, knowing that they're just temporary and then you're not going to feel great today. You're not going to feel great for the next couple of hours. Uh, But eventually it'll pass. But what we tend to do is those thoughts come in, Mm -hmm. we get we think they're going to stay there forever and then we have another level of thinking never going to go away i'm never going to get better and then we start adding more and more thinking like layers but actually we attack yeah but what Mm. we do is we attach to those thoughts and we make them mean something we personalize them so how okay then so 
if somebody out there is having this kind of negative style of thinking and they're getting into a downward spiral, if I can call it that, what you described, how can, what possible ways can somebody detect and break out of that negative spiral, downward spiral of thinking? If they start to understand that it's just thought, it doesn't mean anything's wrong with them. Often people say there must be something wrong with me. I'm feeling down. I must be, there must be some disorder somewhere. So just to understand it's thought, it doesn't feel good right now. It will probably pass. And when we let it go, sometimes something else will come. Sometimes when we leave that space open, we'll get an insight. Maybe we need to talk to somebody. Maybe we need to deal with something to do with our finances or to deal with um, a partner. But it, give, it allows space for insights to come through, but no insights or clarity can come through if we've got a, an overload of thinking in the same way as we can't see the sky when it's a thick, cloudy day. Completely just, agree with you. Completely agree. Um, in 2006, I had a car accident and um i was the car was a it was a nice car and uh there was an accident it was pretty bad and it was pretty much the other person's fault the car was pretty badly hit i was actually okay and when i came out of the car i look back and i say i was fuming at the guy saying look what you've done to me look what you've done to me you've ruined me you've ruined my life that this is my car. You've, you, you've, I'm, I'm broken. I can't get restored anymore. Yeah. So I realized I'm not the car. I'm yeah. so attached to the car that my identity has been joined Ooh. unnecessarily to a vehicle made of metal. Exactly. <laughs> my attachment to an identific- over-identification with that vehicle is causing me suffering. All I had to do was detach, as you say, from thoughts and say, I am not my thoughts. I'm thinking those thoughts. The moment yeah. you disassociate, healthily disassociate from the thoughts, as in my case, you disassociate from the car, you realize, well, yes, that was a bag of metal and parts. But guess what? Yeah. I'll go and get another bag of metal and parts. Yes, it's a little yeah. inconvenience for a couple of months. Big deal. Absolutely. I'm okay. Absolutely. So is, that's, is, I guess it's a kind of like two things there, right? I guess there's a reframe of the situation. And secondly, there's a need to make sure that you disassociate from that thing that you're over-inflating yeah. as being important when it's not. Well, the thing is that we often personalize things. So people yeah. will tell us something, we'll internalize it, we'll make it all about us. Mm. It'll hit our insecurity buttons. We all have loads of buttons. And the minute we're like jack in the boxes, the minute somebody says a certain something that, you know, hits that button, you pop up and those same thoughts pop up. I find with my clients and even with myself over the years, the same thoughts seem to be going round. It's almost like we, like those thoughts possibly came from a very, very early place, from a very maybe even juvenile place. And I'll see that with clients a lot. And they get replayed again as an adult. Almost like we haven't updated the computer. We haven't rebooted it or updated it. And we still have that thinking from when we were like 10. So it's like, it's not fair, like it's not, you know, life shouldn't do this to me. Or all those little juvenile-ish kind of things that take us into a victim status rather than an ownership status. Right. I think that's, that, that's a powerful uh, insight right there. Do you need to go and try to trace, break that pattern of negative thinking or spiraling downwards 
by asking yourself, is this something that's legitimately needing this kind of um, response or is this a playback of a childhood pattern that I have just inherited? It's still there. It doesn't really mean anything and I'm attributing mm-hmm. more value to it. And it's actually a childhood, childhood template, as I call it, um, yeah, 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 yeah. Or, or a filter that I'm needlessly putting uh, over this thing. It's an overlay, which isn't serving. Absolutely. Right. Mm. Absolutely. And we, and we all do that. I was, I was, I had a client today who was telling me that every time their her business partner, they're now, she's now breaking up with the business partner. And okay. every time he wants to walk out, what she's noticed is that this juvenile dialogue comes back in. It's like, she said to me, actually, this is juvenile. When I think about those thoughts and when I think about my behavior in relation to them, it is from like when I was 12, it's like, it's not fair. Shouldn't be doing this to me. You know, it's, it's a very, very young kind of, very, very victim-like status that she's realized she's getting into. So now she can start to be aware of it and pull herself out of it a little bit. Maybe not 100%, but at least 5% for now, and then build that up. Let me ask you another question as a follow-on from that. What's wrong with positive thinking? There's nothing wrong with positive thinking if you really believe it. But if I, and it's interesting you ask that because I had a client a few days ago who was telling me that every, every time his child um, didn't win at tennis, he would say to him, just be positive, even though his son was getting very upset. And I said to him, why don't you say to him instead, you're upset, aren't you? It's hard when you don't win. Mm. Why don't you just feed back what you're seeing rather than negate what's really going on, which is what you're doing. If you feel positive, that's great. Go be positive. Shout out to the world. That's amazing. There are days that I feel amazing and and I really feel it internally, but there are days that I don't and that my clients don't and you probably don't. And so what's wrong with saying, you know, that, that it's just not there. So, so, I think to shift it into positive for me, it takes too much energy and it's negating where mm. I might be at. You know, you know, this is the, um, this, sorry, you, you, you got me excited. You know, this is the eponymous dual or tussle between East and Western mindsets that the, the Western yeah. culture of kind of masking it up or just turning something into something positive and, disregarding that anything negatives happen at all and the eastern approach to actually just sit with it sit with the emotion let it pass through you don't become too attached to it but let it pass through you live through that let that emotion have breath and then let it pass absolutely and and i would go one step further what if Mm. we could take the titles of negative and positive and neutralize them neutralize them mm. what if it doesn't have to be negative or positive it can just be reframe it in the way you want to reframe it and create a new title for it but it doesn't have to be so once we put it into negative everything feels hard everything feels difficult it feels overwhelming and when we feel the positive we have to push ourselves into that space we have to be positive because that's what nice people do. They're positive. And we negate what we're really about at that, in that moment. 
Michelle, I've heard this saying that there is an author in almost everyone. And I know that you have turned that saying into rock hard concrete, Gibraltar concrete fact. <laughs> but you did it in a most unusual way. I need to hear this journey and I think our listeners need to hear this gun to your head thing that happened and has led to this amazing success that you have. Yeah. Um, so basically I had, when it comes to writing a book and this might resonate with a lot of people here is I had wanted to write one for the longest time. I've been an online, uh, I've been writing for online platforms for many years and I love doing it. And I thought, well, you know, I'd love to write a book, but I couldn't get started because from writing on online platforms, writing a book is a whole different ball game. I was worried that it wouldn't be perfect enough. Who was going to be my niche? I was getting stuck into all the kind of the overthinking element of it. You know, was the writing perfect enough? Was my grammar, you know, good enough? And I kept waiting and waiting and waiting. I happened to be in Gibraltar for a couple of weeks holiday, back in holiday. And I just happened to bump into somebody who said to me, I was just thinking about you a few moments ago. I said, really, how come? And he said to me, because as I, as I was walking down the road, I suddenly felt a huge burst of anxiety. And I thought to myself, I wish I had one of Michelle's articles that I could read as I was walking so in that moment, literally he was talking to me and I just had this huge insight. <clears throat> and I thought to myself, actually, what if I could write a book and yeah, a bit of a transform on the go, he could keep it in his bag. If he felt anxiety, he can open it up to one of the pages and just have it there. Doesn't have to wait for Wi-Fi. Doesn't have to wait to go on a publication. Doesn't have to wait for anything, right? Doesn't have to wait for anything. That's all I could think about was this person. I didn't care about my niche anymore. I didn't care about whether it was going to be a number one bestseller or not, or whether I literally didn't care whether it was perfect. That all out the window. Hang on. This is important. Everybody's hang on all the, any kind of creator most of the time is thinking, Hey, but I got to get this right. I've got to make it a hit. If I'm a musician, it's got to be a smash it. If it's an author, it's got to be something that, you know, you know, roundhouse are going to come and approach me for, but you just vermilion, you just chuck that out the window. You're telling me you I just chuck that out the window. Out the window. Absolutely, because when you get out of the when you get out of your own way, you chuck everything out the window. When you have an insight, and you know what an insight is, because an insight is that gut instinct that comes mm. not with anxiety, not with stress, but it comes in a very gentle, effortless way. It's like a it's like a voice whispering behind you, saying, "This is where it's at, Michelle." And uh, when I got back to London, it was April first. I decided to sit down and write my book. And by the end of April, April 30th, I would have the first draft. And I created a discipline, 8 to 9 a.m. every morning. I would push out all my overthinking just for that hour. So the rest of the day, I could do what I was doing normally. But just for that hour, nobody disturbed me. All my WhatsApps, emails, text messages were turned off during that hour. And I focused. And by the end of the 30 days, um, I had written about 50,000 words, which is your average, 40 to 50,000 words is your average book. And, um, and then I thought, okay, what's next? Like, what do I need to do next? Right. And I thought, well, I need to hire an editor. So hired an editor and he looked over the book. He really loved it. And I thought, okay, what's next? And I decided I need to start looking at some publishers. And less than a year later, my book was born. And look, it, which is called Look Inside, 
stop seeking, start living. And, you know, so this is how effortless it was. And honestly, the best moment for me was to sign a copy once it was published, take it to Gibraltar and to give it to him. Because the person who triggered this all off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just to give it, I never said to him that that was, I never told him that he was a person, but sure. I just gave it to him and I said, you know, this is for you. And he loves it. And all I was thinking about, Amazing. it's just one person and people like him. And so that's really when you're going to create something. You know, when you get into the ego state of it's all about me, how can I show my expertise? How can I show how credible I am? How can I show how amazing I am? It, it kind of misses something. And when you push that out and you just create from an authentic place, not of impressing, but of expressing, people receive it very differently. It's egoless and it's, it's meant to just impact if it needs to, you know, it, it comes out in a very, very different place. I love that. I just want to. I just. I just want to ruminate on that for a minute. Stop impressing, and start expressing. Because that's a different space to be. You know what you're like when you're impressing. You're like, you know, like okay, mm. how can I, how can I, you know, you're like one of these peacocks that are walking around trying to. Right. Your egos. Your, your, the, the, the not that ego is necessarily a bad thing. People misunderstand that, but the right. negative aspect of your ego just kind of kicks in the undesirable aspect of the ego kicks in right when Absolutely. you press it is it's that proud peacock hey look at me yeah, yeah 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 and this and then the spotlight is on you rather than pushing that spotlight onto the person who's receiving it as you, you did with the book as you did with yeah. and i do with, with with the book and i do with my when i speak and i do with my coaching it's like okay what will best serve this person what will best serve my audience? Not about me having to show like what I know, but I want to make sure they get value from it. And, and otherwise, why am I going to do it? What, what's the point? So that's where I come from. And, and it's, for those who are listening, it's like it's really important to be aware of our intention, where we come from when we're about to create something. I think that's really powerful to, ch to check yourself and your intention. I think that's golden tip for anybody who's con creating any kind of content, whether it's budding authors, musicians, anybody mm -hmm. in the artistic or creation field to yeah. check where you're coming from. I think that's a beautiful thing. I mean, I do martial arts and one of the basic tenets of martial arts is to check your ego at the door. They, you know, especially in oh, martial nice. arts like MM, Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, you can't afford to walk in with that big ego because you're a 85 stone, 85 kilo, 9% body fat gorilla because you'll just get submitted by a guy half your height or a lady half your size and you'll be crying like a baby because it was never about the ego. It was about technique, mm. about where your mindset is, where your thinking is. And I think checking your ego at the door with any endeavor is such a powerful message to take away. It really, it really, really is. And, and yeah, and I think it goes towards everything, whether it's, it's writing a book, being on social media, being on, you know, wherever it is, you can notice those people who are really speaking from their heart and those who are, it's just one big ego trip. Coming um, from the right place. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, so about the book, yes. what messages would you care to share? something that could really resonate with our audience 
from the book. For people especially who are doing the grind, putting in the hours, mm. spending the weekends thinking about how they're going to improve their career, having limited time for their family, spending a little too much on social media and generally trying to escape their own lives <laughs> and just busy trying to achieve something to impress somebody they shouldn't have done in the first place. Mm. Mm. Well, I mean, the book is called Look Inside because to me, that's where it all starts. And I think we, we're often too busy looking outside ourselves for recognition, acknowledgement, um, for a good feeling, for, a, you know, for that outside to define who they are mm. and and you know when i talk about stop seeking start living is that often we are what we're really seeking is within actually mm. and and we forget that so we think oh if only we took a trip here or only we did that if we only did and and what happens is they do what they they're seeking and then they after two or three days it's just not where it's at they're bored, they're uninspired. So then they try the next thing. It's always like, I'll be happy when. I'll be okay when. When then. Always when then. But actually you reach that point and it's just still feeling the same. Or you're still bringing your same issues to the same scenario. So that's really very much what it's about. And it's, it's, it's mm -hmm. done through stories. It's done through, um, it's not prescriptive. It's not asking you to remember anything it's just asking you to just read and just see what insights come from you i know socrates was famous for saying an unexamined life is not worth living mm. problem is mm. we're too busy examining how many followers we got and how many of our tweets were retweeted and whatever else modern society is yeah. unintentionally yeah. or intentionally some might say uh, programmed us to do and we mm. become this Pavlov's dog just yes. you know just acting on auto cue Michelle what the hell's <laughs> going on <laughs> Michelle how do we break do out you, of this rut come on help us out do you know what it is it's it's you know when I used to work with addicts years ago when I was a therapist you know it's it's that addiction to acknowledgement to like I'm liked, like I, I belong, like when people click like, I saw somebody on Facebook the other day saying, oh, so-and-so just liked my post. How amazing is that? Or so-and-so just followed me. And I thought to myself, I mean, this is like a 40-year-old man. Wake up. Like, what are you really saying that if, if they follow you, what is that saying about you, that you're that much more special today than you were yesterday? Mm -hmm. So what are you really saying? And I think it's important for us to put what we want on social media, what resonates with us, what we feel, you know, we, really speaks our message. But to think about in terms of the likes or not likes I got, you know, it's, 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 it's getting sucked into something that you don't really want to be part of, you know. So being very aware, absolutely share all you want. Um, but don't get too attached to the result. No, don't, don't get too attached to the result or what that says about you because it doesn't say anything about you. Yeah, beautiful advice and advice which, uh, yeah, as a psychotherapist, it's, it's, a, it's a cornerstone of contemporary successful living to not be attached to the result. And mm. yet, you know, my, my Eastern tradition, my Eastern roots, I studied the Bhagavad Gita for example, as a, oh, wow. as, 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 as a young teenager. 
And lo and behold, we find, uh, what is it, chapter 2 in the Bhagavad Gita. Uh, and then chapter 18, again, talks about giving up the results of the activities mm. and, and, and embracing renunciation. Here we're talked, you know, we're embracing, renunciation is almost a dirty word. And yet some of the most successful people in the 21st century, Steve Jobs immediately comes to mind, uh, mm. amongst others, were trying to, were, trying to embrace that renunciation by not trying to be attached to the results of what happens by not trying to be attached to what people will say. If you post something that's with your heart, but may go against mm. the grain. Yes. 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 It yes. almost feels Michelle, like we've got to cut that attachment to the fruits of our labor. And that's exactly what was spoken five and a half thousand years ago in the Bhagavad Gita. And Absolutely. Here we are. Absolutely, absolutely. And definitely. So, so there's something about, I mean, I remember a coach telling, one of my coaches telling me years ago, um, that care so much about what you want to do, that you don't care about what other things, others think about it. So care so much that you don't care, basically. (laughs) So, yeah, so, so it's that premise of just saying, look, I'm going to put it in and, and I think it was Viktor Frankl who, I mean, I, I, I really love his books. And he said that don't chase success before you know, you know, if you just let it be. I mean, obviously do the work. But success is like a butterfly that one day just sits on your shoulder and you look to your right and it's kind of there. And it just effortlessly just came to join you. But that to chase it, you're kind of missing something in the chase. And a presence as well, being really present. All right, Michelle, I want to move to this thought that arises, especially delving into this powerful book that you've written and very necessary book. What's the value of putting perfection on hold? The value that, in a sense, it's like we're seeking something that doesn't exist. <laughs> so you're saying perfection on hold, but perfection, actually perfection for who? Because what might be perfection for you is not perfection for me. It's not perfection for somebody else. So, you know, I love the perfection on hold, but actually it's like asking yourself, well, how worthy I am? How worthy am I? Well, how do we know how worthy we are? Where are those measuring, where are those measuring sticks that we can measure perfection, worthiness, all of those things? Yet we live anxious that we're not that, but there's no measuring stick for it. It really isn't. How do you know when you're perfect? How really would you know? Do you mean to say that we are wrongly chasing in this day and age the perfection of outcomes, things, individuals, peoples, that it's a futile pursuit? Is that what you're saying? Or are you saying that there is a more noble pursuit, a more fruitful pursuit, perhaps? rather than chasing perfection. Yeah, I mean, perfection is such a heavy set word. I mean, it, I feel, I feel a, you know, here it's just like sort of, it's just a very heavy set word, perfection. But what if we could change the word to something that really serves us? So rather than perfection, maybe I want to be complete. So before I'm complete, I want to make sure that there are certain things that I've done correctly. So even though I let go of perfection in my book, that didn't mean that I didn't pay a lot of attention to the cover or how I wanted it. 
or I spoke with my publisher about what the title needed to be because I wanted a title that would resonate with people. So that was my level of perfection. It was like, okay, when am I complete? When is my draft? And all those various drafts one has to do in the editing process, when is that complete? Rather than when is it perfect? Because perfect, it's neither here nor there. But complete for me, I know when something's complete. So if you're about to do a project, a business, you'll know when it's complete. You'll know when things feel right to you. But to, to then take the extra mile to perfection is impossible. Right. That then goes back to what you said earlier. It's got to, as your book title, look inside. That is to say, we need to look inside uh, to know, to check in with ourselves when we know that something is complete. I think that's uh, a big mistake. Yeah. Right? It, you know, it's like, sorry, go on. I was just going to say, isn't that a mistake that people make? They're looking outside to find out, to gauge whether something is complete. Definitely. And I did that, I did that for the longest time. I did that for the longest time. So I totally get it. I totally get it. I'm not saying I've never been. I, I mean, I've been through that. So I really get it. Totally. But I see that now on social media. You know, I, I used to belong to a few groups a few groups, especially when I was just about to become an author. And I just was doing my book alongside my publisher and that was it. Whereas other people were constantly reaching out to others on social media saying, which title do you prefer? Which typeset do you prefer? Which thing do you prefer? Should I say it this way or that way? And I felt like actually writing back and saying, why don't you spend an hour or two with yourself? And what you want, maybe even an hour with your publisher or your editor, just have that conversation. Have, but let it come from you rather than going out into the world for validation, for them to tell you how your book should be looking. Uh, you know, and, and it was like pretty incredible. I saw that a lot. And I still see that a lot. Um, so it starts from something as simple as that, is that, you know, constantly looking, are people going to like it? Are people going to be okay? Maybe ask the people that really matter, one person that really respect their opinion. Mm. You know they know about this really. You know, they're an expert on this. So ask them. Let me ask you if there is one thing that you think people could take away as a message and live it, embody it from the chapters of your book, in addition to the message we've just discussed, what would that be? Well, there are so many messages in the book. Um, Again, most of it is look inside. Most of it is asking you lots of questions about you um, and what your internal motivation is. And, and, but I think a lot of it also is about overthinking. A lot of it about is about kindness, stopping, not being so busy, being more present. So so I guess it's, if you overthink less, you'll have more presence. Mm. That means that you'll be able to see more of what's around you. That means that you can give more value to others and, give more of a concentrated version of yourself rather than a diluted one, which is what a lot of people do that I work with who are very busy professionals. They give diluted versions of themselves to their kids, to their partners, even at work. They're exhausted. They're busy. But I don't think they're so busy often. I think often there's a very busy mind Mm. charging that. 
I, I mean, I used to have a client who was always telling me how busy she was and I didn't understand why she was so busy. So I said to her, keep a log of your day every single day for the next two weeks. And, you know, at the end of the two weeks, it made very interesting reading. She wasn't that busy. But she was overthinking everything she was about to embark on. She was also micromanaging other mm. people. So that took a lot of work. But actually, so a lot of the time it's about looking at how busy am I? You know, how busy am I really? Or is it just, or is it a busy mind? I think a symptom of overthinking, as you say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, I, I do illustrate chapters of, of speaking to people in town, in the city, and stopping to speak to them while everybody's busy running around and very disinterested in others. And I think that when we think less, when we take our thinking less seriously so we don't attach to it so much, we can be more present for what's around us. And, and I know when I, when I started doing that very organically, I started seeing things I've never seen before. I started, it's almost like the colors, um, whether it was the trees or buildings, everything started to come out like almost like 3D colors, like bright and dynamic and, and magnetic. It was probably always there. But when we have so many filters of thought, can't really see life you really can't you think about filters you take off different filters you begin to see things more clearly and and often thoughts are filters to to really life get in the way of us living actually living breathing and it doesn't mean we need to go on holiday doesn't mean we need to buy anything new we can just embrace that going into the garden for an hour into you know into our everyday ordinary existence michelle it's that time you've got to share a goosebump moment or an epiphany with our listeners okay <laughs> right so i've had quite a few epiphanies these past few years um had a huge life change about five years ago had a number of life changes over the years, but definitely five years ago was pretty big. And um, I just walked out on, on, I just walked out on a relationship. I was taking my kids with me and it's an unbelievably uncertain time and a lot of uncertainty, a lot of fear, um, a lot of the unknown. And, you know, at the time I was, obviously I had been married, had a status in the community. I was a professional. I had all those things that we hide behind, that, that we kind of hook into to define who we are. And I remember that when all those things began to fall away, I thought, well, who am I now? And I remember I was, I was watching a program of a hurricane, a huge hurricane in America. And the reporter came into the scene and he was interviewing different people and he went over to interview one particular man who was staring at the space where his house once stood. And he shoved the sort of microphone in his face and said, well, what are you going to do now? Like, this is your livelihood. And the guy looked at him in the face and said, I am resourceful. I will rebuild. And then the... The cameraman, uh, sorry, the interviewer went round to him again and said to him, but what about security? Aren't you worried about that? And this guy looked at him straight in the face and said, security? 
is where I am. And in that moment, I just had this huge insight. And I remember thinking, I was going through sort of an emotional hurricane myself. He was going through a physical one. And if he could rebuild, so could I. And if, you know, if he could be okay within, not having a house, a livelihood, he lost everything that day. If he could do that, so could I. And so maybe it wasn't in the status, maybe it wasn't in the relationships, maybe it wasn't in the jobs, maybe it wasn't in the professions, maybe it wasn't there. And I decided to rebuild from a foundation of truth, from a foundation of it's all inside me now. I don't have to look outside for that. So that was, that was a very powerful moment. This man probably never realized that in that interview when he'd lost it all, that he had shifted somebody's, you know, had some sort of paradigm shift through what he said. As had the man who was an inspiration for your journey of book writing. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think that we can, find, we can find inspirational people when we're really listening, when we're really present. Mm-hmm. Everybody can be an inspiring person. Everybody can be, you know, it's like, for, for example, I remember having a client around a year ago who said to me, I want to hire you as my guru to work with me for six months. And I said to him, look, I'm nobody's guru. <laughs> but here's what I can do is I can help you find the guru within you. Beautiful. That wisdom within you, that's what I'm going to tease out. Michelle, you talk about being a guru and helping people to find the guru in you. You were obviously thought of highly enough in that regard because you were the finalist in the Women Inspiring Women Awards not long ago uh, and in the best coach category at the Business Women Awards here in the UK. Yes. How has that been for you? And what message do you now take away and embody as a result of those significant achievements? They are significant achievements. And it's funny because I, I, a few months ago, I was interviewed in Gibraltar and, and some, the lady who was interviewing me for TV asked me the same thing. But I, I just, I don't know, I kind of shy away from things like that. It's interesting, but I, I have to struggle to put the pictures on social media. I have to struggle to actually put it out there because it's not about that for me. Right. The only thing that that's about for me is that if those pictures might inspire somebody in Gibraltar, some girl in Gibraltar who believes it's not possible for her, or some girl here who doesn't believe, or some guy who believes it's not possible, then that's the only reason why I kind of do it. Because I think, well, yeah, let, let me just inspire somebody that, that I can also do it. Because people, people who know me really well have known my journey, that it's been a huge roller coaster for the past 20 years. So, so that's why I do it. But in a way, it is, it is what it is. It was great to meet those people that, you know, at, the, at, we had this whole event and, and in all, you know, this whole event coming from that sort of award ceremony, which was amazing. And I loved it, met amazing people. That's really where it's up for me. Um, I think many years ago, it would, when I was a therapist, it would have been about award ceremonies and being, you know, credible and acknowledged. It doesn't mean that much to me anymore. It just means that I can maybe reach a wide audience. Okay. Well, if there's one thing in all this traveling that you've done, 
you've been in award ceremonies, you've been in a reality TV show, you've been interviewed in the States unexpectedly, all this traveling and environment changing, there has been a constant in your life, your, your daily or your weekly rituals. Share a little bit about those with us. My, my de- uh, yeah, so I have daily rituals and I find those really, really grounding as a way of starting your day. So we are leaders and we are creators as we start, as we start our day. I very much notice when I don't do my, my kind of disciplines during the morning, like the day just takes me rather than me taking the day. So, um, so it's very much about, you know, for anybody listening is to set things that serve you that are going to make you start the day in a fantastic space, whether it's shutting down your text messages for the first hour of the day. I write for the first hour of my day. I still do so. 8 to 9 a.m. if anybody wants to know why I'm not okay. answering phone. It's that I'm still, it's because it's I love writing. So it takes me into a really great space. Um, I set an intention for my day. Um, and, you know, I, I do certain things. I maybe meditate for, for a little, for just a little bit of a while. But make sure that you have some sort of ritual, something that serves you. I mean, this is my own personal one because it serves me. Um, but make sure that you, that you do what serves you and what you want to create, whatever that might be. You've given me a beautiful gem, and I'm sure the listeners will resonate with that. Give us two more, two more pieces of wisdom. And of course, they can read more in your book. They can connect with you. Give us Absolutely. two more. That, and this is urban spirituality, so we love to keep it real and practical and usable and all that stuff. Give us so two. If you're gonna, yeah, so if you're going to do anything, break it down into manageable chunks. So break it down because people often feel, oh, I want to create something and they suddenly feel this kind of ball of overwhelm. And what often, what often is the best way to do it is to just, what do I need to do today? Only, I don't need to look at what I need to do next week, next year, next month. What do I need to do today? And that's what I do very much with some of my clients who really overthink things. I want to create something and they're overwhelmed. Is like, what's due today? Okay, let's not only because it makes you more focused on the present moment, but because it reduces the overwhelm. Mm. And then you ask yourself, what's next? And then what's next? Keep asking yourself, what's next? So something about cutting things into manageable chunks. So that's one thing. And obviously mm-hmm. the one hour rule of if you want to create anything, just pick one hour a day. Love Nothing that. To suffer. You're, you're the living embodiment of that. I mean, exactly. 50,000 um, word book came out, <laughs> top reviews on Amazon, all because you just broke it down into an hour a day. And everybody can do that. It's totally, anybody, anybody, however busy they are, everybody has an hour. Everybody has an hour. And the next thing I want us to talk about is language. So language. be very aware of the language that you use when you're talking about your life. So, for example, I was working with a client who, when he talked about his reality, was using words like weapon, war, battle, fighting, and he was very stressed. And being aware of that and really asking those questions, well, if you're not at war, what is true about your life? And and getting very clear about what are the real words that should be used here can really serve you. I mean, honestly, your life can go from super stressed effortless just by 
being more mindful of the words you use, taking away the should do, have do, need to, must. Those are heavy duty words. I have to, I should. And replacing that with I choose to, I don't choose to, I want to, or I don't want to. Most people don't ask what they want. They just keep asking, what do I have to do? What should I be doing? And then they're wondering why they keep saying yes to everything, why they're so stressed. And then, and then roll forward the curse of people pleasing. And that's a whole other episode. Yeah. In itself, of course. Absolutely. Oh my God, that's a whole other one. <laughs> well, actually talking of people pleasing, people would love to please themselves by empowering themselves in their life. How can they connect with Michelle? What have you got on the menu, Michelle? Yeah, absolutely. Well, they can, if, if this, uh, if our conversation together really resonated with them or resonated with you, um, then contact me on, I'm sure you'll have the contact details, michelletscoaching at gmail.com. Send me an email and tell me what resonated with you. What was, what really spoke to you? Because mm. I would love to know. Um, that's number one, obviously. Then they've got obviously the book, which is available on Amazon, which is on Kindle and also on uh paperback so they can get it in two versions i've also got a youtube channel um i normally put some of my videos on there so they can subscribe to that and watch some of what the content that i put out yep i had the pleasure um, of watching a couple myself on the commute so <laughs> fantastic <laughs> good stuff there. fantastic and i've also got you know my blog if you want to you know read more about what i write i've got my blog and then i've also got at the moment um something which I, has really appealed to some people who are super busy and that's my six-week uh, Clarity Coaching Accelerator. Hmm. And I call it my short, uh, impactful, and affordable coaching accelerator. Some people are too busy to commit to three months or six months, and they just want something short, impactful, right. and that will really do the job. Yeah. So, it's, so, yeah, so that, that is available, and they're interested in it. Absolutely send me an email, and most of my programs are by invitation. So, that way we can request a, uh, a call and yeah. And I'd love to hear from you. How refreshing. There by invitation. It just says it all discernment, introspection, self-reliance and trust and detachment from the outcome. Pearls of wisdom <laughs> with the ever insightful super trooper, our very own Gibraltar's very own wonder woman, Michelle Atias. Gracias por tu compañía. And it's <laughs> awesome, awesome to have you. Thank you Thank so you much for being with us. And we'd love to have you on a live at some stage. So folks, watch out for that. Hey, folks, thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode. And as with all our episodes, found something to inform, inspire, and empower you in your spiritual and personal journeys in life. As always, if you enjoyed it, feel free to leave a little love through your ratings and comments, share it with those who you care about, and take your personal and spiritual evolution to the next level by joining us on one of our events, workshops, or retreats. Find out more about us at mantratherapy.co.uk. I'm your host, Prash K. This is Urban Spirituality, and we will catch you on the next episode.